Let's hear those words again from our scripture reading. 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good. This is good. And pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and wants all people to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. And that's Paul who's writing this. And he says, and this has now been witnessed to at the proper time. <laughs> Paul is saying, this is the proper time for me to tell you about Jesus. This guy, Paul, was a great uh, pastor, teacher, and influencer for Christ and for the church in the first century. It was Paul's writings that composed most of the New Testament, and this particular letter was written to Timothy. Timothy was his apprentice. Timothy was the guy he was raising up. Timothy was this sort of up-and-coming leader that Paul had his eye on and that Paul thought would be great and do great things for God. And so he wrote him letters. We have two of them in our Bible. And here you can hear him. He's urging him to do something. So he's talking to this guy, this young guy that he's loved, and he's, he's urging him. So back to that first verse, he says, I urge you, Timothy, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. So, you know, if you're wondering, like, what would Paul say to someone he was wanting to, to, to walk in the footsteps of Jesus? And what would he say first? Well, we hear it here. He says, first of all, Timothy, pray, pray and pray and pray. Like, it's like Paul tries to think up every word he could think of for prayer. Petitions, ask God, prayer, uh, intercession, thanksgiving, pray for the people. Uh, and that leads me back to that word intercession, because when you see that phrase that the, the prayers would be made for all people, that's really describing the kind of prayer that we know as intercession. The word intercession just means that you will intervene on behalf of someone. So it may be helpful to kind of look at those words just a little bit. So the definition of intervene is to come between so as to alter a course of events or even prevent a course of events from happening. That's what intervene means. So the word intercession, I told you, means to intervene on behalf of someone. So I kind of made up this, my own kind of prayer definition for the word intercession, and that is to come between in prayer so as to alter a course of events. To intercede in prayer is to come between, to intervene, to step in so that you can alter a course of events. People who follow Christ have a crazy belief, and that is, as we pray to Jesus, pray to God, that our prayers can actually make a difference. They can alter the course of events. They can prevent something from happening. Paul thought it was so important that he laid it out to Timothy as the first thing I'm gonna call upon you to do. Like in ministry, he, Timothy's thinking, what's the first thing I get to do? What's the first way that I get to make a difference? And Paul says, pray. Pray on behalf of the people. There's a really cool biblical phrase called standing in the gap. And that's basically what it means, 
standing in the gap, is standing in some of those uh, open places, broken places, vulnerable places in prayer for someone else. And so what I'm talking about are some of those uh, things that you might see in your own life right now that are clearly gaps. Like you're praying for a son or daughter who is, say, far off from you or far off from God. Well, that creates a gap. So what are you supposed to do? Stand in the gap. Or you might have some, some noticeable, uh, uh, noticeable gaps in your marriage, some things that are going on that may be out of your control, some actions that other people have taken. So there's that gap there. What can you do? You can stand in the gap in prayer. But we're going to see as we explore this scripture and as we go deeper in prayer, that standing in the gap becomes even much bigger than just those things that are going on in our lives. That as we see a broken community or a, a nation that's in big trouble or hungry people that need to be fed or, or sick people that need to be well, what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to stand in the gaps. Stand in the gaps in prayer that God's actually calling upon us that we can have a role in this world-changing movement, it's intercession, it's interceding, it's praying. And so that's why I've been saying things like to you, like grandparents, you can intercede on behalf of your grandchild. You may think that it's totally out of your control, but there is something you can do. It's the first thing you can do, and that's stand in the gap. So I have borrowed this phrase, stand in the gap, from an old book in the Old Testament called Ezekiel. And Ezekiel is one of those prophets who troubles people. And in Ezekiel's time, like a lot of the prophets' time, the, the nation of Israel, the people of God, were in a huge mess. And so the phrase that I borrowed from a particular chapter in Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 22, gives this description, this exhaustive list of all of the things that are going wrong in the nation. And it's not a fun list to read because the list is predicated upon or it's based upon the sin of the people of God because of the ways that the people of God have turned their backs on God, there has uh, come this great mess of brokenness and gaps. And again, it describes it in almost excruciating detail that the people of God have neglected to feed the hungry, and the people of God have forgotten about the orphans, and the people of God have mistreated the widows, and the people of God are paying no attention to the immigrants that come in their way. And it begins to describe their religious festivals and their worship. And they says they have not observed the Sabbath and they've not worshiped in the ways that they should. And they have shed blood that did not need to be shed. And it lists all manner of sexual sins that the people of God have engaged in. And it talks about their business practices being unjust and that they're extorting people and taking advantage of those. It's a terrible list as you read Ezekiel chapter 22. And then it comes to this point where God says, I have looked for someone among them who would build a the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not destroy it, but I have found no one. God is describing the spiritual wall. You can picture it that on behalf of the land, he's just looking for somebody that would come into those broken places, that would come into those, those open spots, the places where the wall has been knocked down. It's the wall that protects them spiritually. And he says, I'm looking for somebody that would stand there Stand in the gap so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. You see, the sin leads to destruction. It's not that God's wanting to go around and destroy. It's that these ways that we turn our backs on God are leading to little destructions and big destruction in our life. And God's saying, will there be someone who will stand up? 
Will there be someone who will stand in this place and save the people? It reminded me of this memory that I had when I was in high school, a sophomore in high school, and I was at a basketball game. I went to a place called Mount Juliet High School, and the old Mount Juliet High School had this lower level, like where people really engaged in the game, and then there was this upper level that you took steps to from outside in the lobby, and that's sort of like where students hung out who maybe weren't paying attention to the game. And there was this one night at a basketball game that I got cornered by four or five guys in the upper level. It was a place where that could happen, and there I was, defenseless with these four or five guys around me. Now, before you feel too sorry for me, there was a reason that these guys had cornered me. The reason is I had said something about one of the guys. I didn't say it to him, but I said it about him, and somehow it got back to him. I did not know that telling his girlfriend that I thought he was a loser would get, would get back to him. <laughs> and to be fair, he, she had asked me what I thought about him. It was a big mess. Anyways, it was unkind. It was foolish. And I certainly wouldn't have said it if I thought I knew that he would hear it because he was older than me, bigger than me, and in my humble opinion, meaner than me. And they cornered me. And I stood there, just me against them, in the top of the old Mount Juliet High School gym. And, you know, my mouth has always uh, been bigger than my muscles. <laughs> and I did not know what to say. I did not know how to get myself out of that situation. And I looked up, I glanced up in the bleachers that were there, and I saw my buddy, like one of my best buddies, his name is Dave, and he was sitting up there, and I gave him a look. He could see the situation that I was in. I looked at him for help, and I saw him run away down the bleachers. So it was just me. What I didn't know is that Dave, in those moments, had gone to get some reinforcements. And I'm not trying to make light of high school violence at all. I'm saying it was real. I was in real trouble. I had created this mess, and I had no way to get out of it. And I was standing there with these guys, blocking my view from everything else, and I heard a voice from behind them that said, he is with us. And when we turned and looked, it was the senior captain of the football team, a guy I did not know, standing with the rest of the offensive line of the football team, and they were saying, he is with us. And I said, yes, I am with them. I did not know personally any one of those guys. But there was somebody else standing with them, and that was my main man, Dave. And I knew Dave. And you see, Dave knew Travis, who was the captain of the football team, and some other guys there. Dave knew Boxhead. Boxhead was there. And Boxhead is exactly how you picture him. Just, you know, I mean, his mama named him Boxhead. <laughs> he was a baby. I mean, now it, and those guys were with me, and I was with them. And they saved me that night, and the only thing they did, there was no fight. The only thing they did was stand there on my behalf. And Paul is telling Timothy, first, the most important thing you can do, sometimes, son, this is his spiritual son, is stand up, stand in. Stand between, find the gap, find the break, find the broken place, and get there. And you stand there on behalf and pray, and pray, and pray, Paul says, for all the people. You pray for them. You pray for them, Timothy. 
He wants to be important. He wants to have a voice. He wants to be a leader. He wants to be sent out. He says, pray, son. Pray in the gaps. Intercede. Pray on behalf of the people. Because we believe, because of who Jesus is, that our prayers are not just words that go and hit the ceiling, but that they can actually alter the course of events and alter the course of history. Paul gets so intent on this interceding that he says, uh, well, he gets specific about who can be prayed for. When he says all the people, that's a big wide group. But then he hones in, he says, here's who you can pray for, Timothy. Pray for all the kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And he says, this is good and pleases God, our Savior. So, Timothy, you want to have a big effect? You want to change things? He says, pray for the kings. Pray for those who are in authority. And he says, the reason that you will do that is so that you can live a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and holiness. So many of us have wondered, how can I engage politics? What's my role in the government right now? Well, there are many faithful roles, so don't mishear me on that. But if you want to know what the Bible asks you to do first and what the Bible says will actually please God is that you would intercede on behalf of those who are in leadership. You know, what that means is that the kings and the leaders, and I'm talking about the people who, who lead you in your life, the people who are in authority over you, our mayor, our governor, our president, those people actually have places in their lives where they are vulnerable to their enemy. They have gaps and breaks that they can't even see. And the people of God are given the opportunity to be the ones who will stand in those places, who will stand in the gaps and pray on behalf of those who are in leadership. There are a bunch of other things that we can do, but the first thing that we can do and the thing that we are told will please God is to stand in the gap and pray on their behalf. Our kings are in trouble if the people of God are focused on so many other things and forget our role of prayer. Our leaders are in trouble if we are not praying for them. Now, I'm not a great leader. I have the, the great privilege of, of leading this church. And so as your pastor, I may be a leader in some kind of ways. And I would, I would ask you to pray for me because there are places that I am vulnerable and cannot see that you can stand in the gap in prayer. Yes, I want your opinion most of the time. Yes, we need your service. Yes, we need you in these ways. But first, pray for the church. Pray for your pastors. Stand in the gaps for your leaders before uh, you offer criticism to someone who may be in, in leadership for you. Would you spend a season on your knees for them? Would you pray for them? Would you ask God to show you where they might be vulnerable? Paul is telling young Timothy, he's saying, man, there are, there are leaders out there and we can actually alter the course of history. Isn't that amazing? What, what's being said here in this scripture is that peaceful, quiet, godly, holy followers of Jesus can be the ones who form and transform culture and the world through our prayers. Through our prayers. Now I'm going to make what feels like an abrupt shift, um, but I promise you it makes sense in 
this uh, walk that we're walking through and thinking through prayer and thinking about what Ezekiel was saying standing in the gap and what Paul was saying to Timothy. But, but you may have to hang with me for just a second. The consequences of sin are real. So we've talked about how sin enters into the world in the garden when man and woman just say, I want to do my own thing rather than what God has asked me to do. And since that has happened, the consequences of it are real. Brokenness, destruction, all manner of ways that people are experiencing pain and disconnection are actually the consequences of sin. Sin having entered into our world. And so if you look one chapter back from 1 Timothy chapter 2 and chapter 1, you will find, again, one of those lists of all these things. Paul says, this is what the people are doing. He's talking about the people of God, okay? If you go back to Ezekiel chapter 22, you know, I, sh I shared with you, there is this, this long list of the things that the people have done that are actually breaking the heart of God, but also destroying the community and destroying the hearts of the people. Sometimes when we read those Old Testament passages, we think, man, this is a very mean and vindictive God. But actually, that's not the case. <laughs> What's happening is God is saying there are real consequences to sin. The consequences of sin are real, and they are destroying us. But the reason I'm telling you all that, the good news that I want to share with you in this message is also the consequences of prayer are real. And the word consequence, it just means a result. So the results of prayer are real. And that may be a very new thing for you to think about, to, to think about that, like, you're actually saying that the things that we pray about can change things? Yes. You, you might be thinking, are you serious? So you're just thinking, if we just pray and pray and pray, that things will be different. Like, that's going to meet the needs of the world. That's going to help the things out. Yes, that is what I'm saying. Because also what we see is that prayer does not become an excuse for the inaction of the people of God. Prayer becomes the motivation and power behind the actions of God. So if a church like ours says, we want to see everyone fed, a crazy audacious goal that we had a few years ago, we want to see everyone fed in our community. Well, we pray about that, and we pray about that, and we pray about that, and that leads us like we'll be in a few weeks from now out in the parking lot with a tractor-trailer truck giving away food. And when we say we want to see every student in our community at every public school and private school realize their potential and what God can do with them in their lives, and we pray about that, and we pray about that, it leads us to like converting buses into mobile cafes to feed them and classrooms to teach them, partnering with our schools. Our prayers lead to action. The consequences of prayer are real. And in those personal places and struggles that you have and as you're, as you're uh, aching over someone you love, aching over brokenness in a relationship, aching over seeing a future of someone you love that you know could be different. I want you to know that the consequences of your prayer are real. I remember calling my mom from the dorm room uh, hallway when I was in my first semester in college. I was a first semester freshman, and I called my mom from the hallway crying. I had pulled the phone out into the room. It had a cord that went connected to the phone and went into the room. And I pulled it out into the hall so my college roommate could not see me crying. Actually, my old buddy Dave, who saved me that night. And I was out in the hall, and I called my mom. And the reason I was crying is because I had this deep sense that God was saying to me that he wanted to do something with my life and actually use me in my life 
to, to share this message. But you understand that I knew me better than anybody. And I knew there was no way. And so I called my mom to do some convincing, you know, <laughs> to help share with me how there's no way that God could be calling me to some great thing. And do you know what my mom said to me on the phone as I shed tears, hoping that no one would see me? Do you know what my mom said to me? She said, I've been praying for you since you were a little boy. And she began to recount to me my story and her prayers. She began to share with me how she's been praying and seeing in my life all throughout the journey that God might use me for something, use me for something good. And she began to share with me these different moments in my life where she stood in the gaps when I didn't even know it. And here I was hearing my mom telling me that actually all along the way, I had not been uh, distanced from God, but that I had been held close to God by a mom who was praying. And I began to see how these gaps in my life, who knows, she was probably praying, <laughs> praying for me that night when I was in the high school gym. She definitely was praying for me through that season when my mouth was way bigger than my muscles. And all throughout the way, as I was foolish and unkind and, and not wise and made mistakes, there was somebody who was holding me close, standing in the gap. Don't tell me that the consequences of prayer aren't real. I believe that we are given a great privilege of intercession to be able to stand in these places on the behalf of the ones we love. I told you guys last week in my sermon about a guy named Tommy who was outside of the window of the nursery at Vanderbilt Hospital when my first daughter, Mary, was born. He was there looking in at little Mary. What I didn't tell you is that the reason Tommy was there is because he committed to me as a brother in Christ to pray for my daughter every day. And he prayed for her for nine months. And so when she was born, he thought he better come and take a look at her. And he was there because he was committing to me in prayer that he would stand with me as a father who did not know what he was doing. And throughout the last 17 years, Tommy has prayed. He lives a couple thousand miles away. He's not around. We don't talk to him much. And he has prayed. So he tells me every day for my daughter and for this church and for me. And so Mary wouldn't know Tommy if he walked in the door but he may be one of the most important people in her life. Because as she goes through her journey, there are people who are standing in the gap, who are standing in and interceding and praying. The consequences of prayer are so very real. And all of that is leading to this statement that's all throughout the story, Ezekiel, 1 Timothy, all throughout, and that is this, the rescue is real. What's happening in Ezekiel is not an angry God who's wanting to take out his, his anger on the people of God. No, not at all. What's happening is God is trying to set up the rescue of his people. If you were to go and read Ezekiel, and I say do that with great caution because it is long and tedious and hard and there is no sugarcoating over what the people of God were doing or the consequences of what will happen because of their actions as turning their backs on God. And yet, what God is saying is, I'm looking for somebody who'll stand in the holes in the walls. I'm looking for just one person who will come and stand on behalf of my people and do that thing and, and stand in that place. God is looking for the people 
who will help set up the rescue of those who he loves. And God will not give up and will not relent. And if you read the book of Ezekiel, what you will find all throughout it, if, you, if you're brave enough to go through Ezekiel, you will see that God is there every step of the way trying to get some people in the place where the people of God will see them and that will point them to God. That's why he calls Ezekiel his watchman. Watch over these people. That's why he takes Ezekiel into a valley of dry bones and says, I can bring a whole army of dead people back to life if you give my spirit the chance. That's why he tells Ezekiel, I'm bringing back the glory of the Lord into the temple. God has a plan for rescue, and the way that we get to step into that is by praying, praying, and praying. The verses in 1 Timothy go on to remind us that the rescue does not come through us. We just get to stand in the gap on behalf. Actually, what he says is, he says, there is one God and one mediator. What's a mediator? Someone who is in between. There is only one mediator between God and humans, and that is the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. What's a ransom? A ransom is something given on behalf It's something poured out. It's something that you don't have that you can't do that's given so that you can come close. And Paul says, this has now been witnessed to at the proper time. What Jesus did is he stood in the gap. And sometimes we don't like to look at the hard words of Scripture or the hard things that happened. Surely none of us Uh, would want to gaze upon the cross in Jesus in his agony, bleeding and dying on the cross. But you know what? The cross is necessary. The cross is not a publicity stunt to get attention. The cross was not an accident. The cross was necessary to save us because it's on the cross that Jesus died for the sins of all the people. Jesus died for the sin going all the way back to the garden. It was done there. It was on the cross that Jesus said, forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing. And Jesus gave his life, the mediator between all of us and God, the ransom, the price paid so that we could come close. Jesus is the one who stands in the gap. And now we are given this opportunity in this world, just like Paul says. He says, and now this is the proper time for me to tell you about it. And guys, this is the proper time for us to tell the world about Jesus. This is the proper time for us to do that thing which God has called us to do. And the first thing that we can do, and a thing that we know will please God, is to get down into the gaps and pray pray and pray and pray. You can do it peacefully. You can do it quietly. You can do it with a godly and holy life. You may never be on the front page of any news story. You may never get any accolade. You may never even, might not even be known by the person, but we are the ones who can actually affect the course of history, and we will do that through our prayers. I want to tell you about something really cool, and that is on Monday night, a lot of you guys are, are seeing this on Sunday, Monday night, we have a prayer meeting at our church at 6.30 p.m., and we're going to be standing in the gap. That's going to be our purpose. So if you want to come and can come, just come on, and we're going to be praying, standing in the gap. If you need to come, if you're like, I can't stand in any gap, you come, we'll stand in the gap for you. We'll pray for you, okay? But what I want to invite you to do, you can see the information on the screen right now. I want uh, not just folks who maybe came today thinking about a prayer request that you would give. I want to invite everybody to follow the directions that uh, if you're watching this live or in the chat, or you can see on the screen if you're watching this later, 
and submit a prayer request of, of someone uh, that you want prayed for, whether it's your son or your grandson or your coworker or your neighbor. You don't have to put their name, nothing. You can just say, I need you to pray for my neighbor or I need you to pray for my son who's going through this. And you submit that. And then on Monday night, uh, there's going to be a bunch of people here and we're going to be praying in the gaps. And I'm speaking this by faith because I believe that those prayers are going to make a difference. I believe those prayers are going to change things. I believe that you could submit something, something that's deep and dear to your heart, and then you can see God move. God move through your prayers. God move through his spirit. So I give you that invitation to submit a prayer request or to come and just let us pray over you. And, and as we worship during this last song, we'll just go and come to the Father, right? We'll just come to the Father, lay it down, and know that Jesus is interceding on our behalf. Amen.